0: Hello.
1: All right. We are live, and this is working.
0: Perfect. Perfect.
1: (laughs) All right. So Steve Armato, advanced training member starting in 2007. I'm just looking through uh, some of your old PowerPoint numbers, Mr. Armato, and you ended your your tenure at advanced training with an exact 1.000, getting you a white shirt. I think that is a, a fitting end to your advanced training career.
0: I mean, it,
1: it is. That was the number I was trying
0: to hit since the day I started. And uh, the, to end with that was actually pretty satisfying because that was always a goal throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire time that I was there. and it felt
1: really good to finally get that white shirt on my way out. For, for those of you listening that uh, don't know what a PowerPoint is, essentially we take multiple movements. At the time when Steve was doing it, it was a bench press, a squat, and pull-ups. We get the max for each one of those movements. We put it into some proprietary formula. It spits out an overall PowerPoint, and then we've been tracking this uh, since the program began to try and really gauge some competition and to put some uh, I'll say, normalize the data between one athlete say in 2019 versus another one back in 2007. And the bench press will show your upper body strength. The squat at the time would show your lower body strength. I know they're both full body movements. And then the pull-ups is your relative body strength. Since, uh, since you retired from advanced training, Steve, we've kind of changed it a little bit. We got rid of the squat cause it was uh, too controversial. We added a deadlift and then we added a broad jump, so we got rid of the squad because people were, people can't all get to the same depth. We added the broad jump, we added the deadlift, but we did normalize the data so uh your one point zero zero is still quite impressive and leaving you with the white shirt makes me a happy man. They made, they made, they made me happy as well I mean that that was like I said
0: earlier, that was the goal coming in because that was like kind of like the that was kind of like the trophy you wanted to get that one on the powerpoints i over since then i think a couple of people went over when i was there but um, like i said that was always the goal and i was glad i was so
1: happy that i was able to reach that goal before the program and i'm looking at your numbers now when you started you were a red shirt so you were a, a 0.659 powerpoints and uh, that's a great increase in 4 years to go from a red shirt to a white shirt I think I went from four pull
0: ups to to like upper teens. I don't even know if I don't know if I might have hit twenty. But that you was You hit always, uh twenty six. That was always the one that that was always the one that I had to work I had to work the hardest on because I like I said, I started with I think it was four and It was four in the Saint Joseph by the Sea gym.
1: <laughs> Back in the glory days.
0: Exactly. That was that was the uh that was the, the first workout we, we had was in that gym. And it was, it was um, you know, former – I was the only one who – I think I was the only one at the time who was going to college to play baseball. But um, so it was, kind of, it was kind of embarrassing because I was like, oh, man. I was like, I'm playing baseball, and I only have
1: four pull-ups. I was like, I have to work at this because I don't want to get left out of the gym. So ju- just some background information primarily what happens in advanced training it's really geared toward college football players so steve was a high school football player he was on a team that i was a coach of i was a defensive coordinator he was a starting inside linebacker and for whatever reason he was one of the few guys he was going to play baseball in college not football and he was one of the few baseball players that were in our program i'd say i can probably count on uh maybe both my hands in the Fifteen to twenty years that this thing's been around. How many baseball players we've actually had? And one of the notes that I had that I wanted to talk to you about anyway. So I'm glad you brought it up. Was I always felt like you were a football player playing baseball? I mean, was that was that your mindset, or am I completely off base?
0: No, you're not completely off base. That was that was always my mindset um, because a, a lot of people tell you know people tell you different things about the sports about the different sports and you know i considered myself a football player first i actually didn't anticipate playing college baseball um until probably i was still on the fence until about midway through my senior year about it but i always took the mentality of football onto the baseball field because i felt like i felt like it benefited me in a lot of ways to have that mentality you know obviously it's different with you have to relax on on the baseball field and the the mindset is a little different when you're playing the game but taking the football player mentality onto the baseball field was something that always helped me I mean sometimes people look at me like I was a psycho because I was way more intense than just your (laughs) than just your run-of-the-mill baseball player but you are correct I always took I was
1: always a football player first who played baseball so, so let's talk about Psycho for a second. Uh, one thing that always stood out to me in the gym was regardless of weather, temperature, day of the week, time of day, you uh, wore no sleeves. You were a no-sleeve guy. Not only that, you started to, as you became a veteran in the program, and force a, if you're training with, we, with me, you wear no sleeves. So wh- what was the reason for that?
0: The main ma- My main reason for that was because I, I- – this was my main reason. At the time my mindset was that other football players look at baseball players as a little bit soft and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be soft. I wanted to I, I wanted to set the tone. I, I I wanted to let the gym when you're in the gym with me, I'm I'm just as intense as you are. I'm probably more intense than you and the best way that I'm going to show you that is I'm not wearing sleeves. I don't care if it's... <laughs> 445 in the morning it's 445 in the morning it's the middle of january it's six degrees out i'm showing up no sleeves you better be ready to train with me because i'm going full speed for the next hour and then i started enforcing the rule as i became a veteran because we we had newer younger guys coming in who were also football players and again i wanted to that was really more of i'm a veteran you're You're coming to train with me, I don't care what sport I play. If you're coming in here at five a m because that was always that was always the time that that I was there. I wanted to just show if you're coming in here at five a m you're going full speed you're not going through the motions, and you're also not wearing sleeves so that was really my mindset there. I didn't want to be the soft baseball player i wanted to I wanted to set the tone
1: I love that so, so I want to cover two things on this point. thing number one is that what you did was absolutely contagious. I remember uh, a pretty mild-mannered Mike Murphy, a Columbia grad. You know, he's he's going in there, super cerebral guy. He thought you were nuts. And then a month later, he's also with you now enforcing the no sleeves rule. So did, did you think <laughs> uh, people – what did you what did you think people thought of you when you were saying no, no sleeves?
0: At first,
1: I thought – at first, I thought
0: they were – I well, not thought. I knew they were like, all right, he's he's a little crazy. This, this is, this is a little nuts. But as we kept, as we kept going, I younger guys, I knew once Murphy was in, I knew once Murphy bought in that everybody else that was there was going to buy in because, you know, he's like you said, cerebral guy. And, uh, I didn't really expect him to, to kind of like buy into it. And, Once the younger guys, at first, the younger guys were kind of taken back by it. And then I remember the day that Drew, Drew Olsen showed up with sleeves (laughs) and I walked up to him and I said, come here. And I didn't even say anything. And I just ripped his sleeve off his shirt and he just looked at me and he goes, he goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, we don't train with sleeves when you're in here with me. And that was it. He never showed up with sleeves again and nobody ever questioned it. So they probably thought I was a little bit crazy, but they also knew I was, I was serious about it. And, you know, I was there to get better. And I was, I was hoping that they, you know, that they kind of felt like I kind of, I was there to get better. And I was hoping that they felt like they were there to get better.
1: And this was what we were doing. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Part of the training program, it originally started when I was coaching at St. Joseph by the Sea High School. So almost every person that came through, after they graduated from C, they would train with me to get prepared for co- their college sport, mostly football. Uh, Drew Olson was from a different school. He was from Poly Prep. So uh, Mr. Armato here didn't even really know him at that point. It wasn't like they played football together or even knew each other. He's just walking up to another cerebral guy and ripping the sleeves off of his shirt. <laughs> That's that setting the top
0: I'll never, I'll never forget the look on his face because I was completely shocked, and I think he liked the shirt. He actually liked the shirt, I think, but that was it. We were, I was just like, "That's, that's it." I was like, "Your sleeves are gone. Where, where? Tra- this is how it's gonna be." So I was, uh, you know, I guess I was a little crazy at the time, but you need to be, you need to be a little crazy to to get stuff done and really get set the tone. So that's how I looked at it.
1: And I, I love that point that you made about being soft. On a, on a very personal note, when I graduated from high school, I was not recruited to play college football. I was recruited to play baseball. I was a baseball player and I'm in my dorm and I'm like, I can't do this. I saw all the football players, they were on the same floor as me. And I was like, I just, I think they're going to think I'm soft. So I had to go walk on the football team so that. In my own mind, I wouldn't be taken as a soft person. So I I love that you really did have that football player mentality of I can't be soft. I got to give myself an edge, and really it it really kind of intimidated people when they – I'm even thinking about the fact that we worked in a public gym. So again, for those of you that don't know, we didn't work out of a high school for a while. We were working out of a public gym. And just people working out there were like, these guys are nuts, especially with you and Murphy walking in in January, you know, it's snowing out, and you guys are coming in in shorts and sleeveless shirt, no jacket, just walking out of your car like that.
0: Oh yeah, and I, I think that also with the other people in the gym, I remember because I, I remember when we'd show up, there was only like a couple people there, but I remember we'd be we'd be screaming in the gym. At 5.15 in the morning, um, pushing each other. And people, I'll never forget looks on people's faces, looking around, just being like, what is going on? How do they have this <laughs> much, much energy at this time in the morning? But that's why I liked being there at that time in the morning. Because you that was almost like our own personal gym because there were so few people there. But I just remember everything being so intense. And... People, you know, it's either people would go upstairs. I remember people would go upstairs to finish their workout because we were so we were so intense. But it's that's the way that it had to be. It was full. It was full hundred miles an hour from the moment you walked in the door to the minute you walked out. And
1: it's great that you say that because when we first started this thing, uh, we actually had been thrown out of two other gyms before we got to that gym for being too nuts, just too loud. (laughs) Too intense. Uh, this gym kind of it, it let us do our own thing, and those same people—they're actually still working out at that gym now. But now they really embrace the insanity. Versus, you know, at the time it was new. Like, who are these guys jumping rope? Who are these guys overhead squatting? Who are these guys doing these chaos movements? Why are they screaming about everything? And, and now it's just like, all right, you know, if somebody misses, they're asking, "Where is this guy today?" You know, they're calling us out for not getting there on time. Uh, so it's it's great how we, you not only transform the group you're with, but you actually transform the people in the gym to now appreciate the insanity of what goes on.
0: Right, and it's great because that that can also lead to you know they might not be working out with you, but it might be it's probably pushing them in a way where they're getting a better they're getting a better workout in at the time. So I think it
1: I think that works. You know that that definitely. And if I'm thinking about some of the most fulfilling moments in my life. Yeah. They came from coaching you guys, but it's, if you guys weren't there. And one of those people in the gym said, you know what? I was tired. I came in here and I saw you guys getting after it. And I just, I had to step up my game or I was going to miss, but I, I knew that you guys wouldn't be happy if I missed, you know, it's making an impact on someone who you're not even directly coaching, just influencing them through your actions. So I, I love that you said that. Yeah. A hundred
0: percent. I think that's, I think that's, that's one of the best things about, the program in general. I think the program in general is contagious, no matter if you're in it
1: or just around it. I think that's one of the best things about advanced training. So I want to quickly change gears and I really wanted to start off with this, but we we got into a much better topic, but uh, it's fitting that you are the first interview that I have for the advanced training podcast. You also were the first ever YouTube video that we had for the advanced training podcast. I'm sure you remember, uh, the video went viral 453 views that's not 453 million uh 453 total views but in my world that's viral
0: uh
1: i I think it was great you know i remember breaking out my old camera oddly mike murphy is the guy spotting you you have some other legends uh morano and angelo uh morales spotting you just i'm just i think it's pretty cool that we went full circle here that you were the first podcast and the first youtube video
0: yes that is
1: that is really cool i It's actually kind of it actually is kind of
0: fitting, and I do remember the video. I remember the the overhead squat because we trained all we trained all summer for the for the overhead squat because I had a test on it when I went back to college for my senior year. So it's actually uh, it's actually an honor to be the first (laughs) interview and have the first YouTube video. This is uh, this is I'm I'm honored to be
1: the first in both. I think it's pretty interesting that you went to a college that tested in the overhead squad. So, uh, again, part of what goes on with advanced training and the reason it was started was because when I went to college, again, I was playing baseball and I moved over to football and I had no clue as to what I was going to be tested in. I kind of just walked through the door and didn't do very well. So when I left college, I said, I- I'm not going to let another kid that I coach go through the same thing. So a bunch of these athletes come back, we go through their college program, we go through what they're going to test on, and then really we train them on the test that they're going to take. Yeah, we do our normal general stuff, but we're trying to prep them to go back to school. Some of the tests are utterly ridiculous, but I I did think it was cool that you guys tested out on an overhead squat. And for those of the 453 people that watched the video, what you notice is uh, Steve did 175 by three. I think he had definitely had more in the tank. It definitely wasn't his max, but it pretty impressive movement. Thank you. Yeah. I, I had gotten, we had gotten, that
0: was a, um, we had gotten up to, I think we got to 195 for two eventually. Um, But that was, it was an interesting test because we had never, that was the first year we really had a new, uh, a new trainer. That he uh, he was just starting out and he was building programs and he decided one of the one of the movements that he wanted to train up to, that he wanted to test us in was the overhead squat and then I asked him about it. It's funny you said that you that interested you because I asked him about it later on when we got back and he basically said that he wanted to test in the overhead squat because he didn't think anybody. Would be going too heavy, and it would be a it would be a barometer for him to see if he would actually let people back squat. And I was like, <laughs> "All right, that's interesting." I was like, "That's that's fine, that works." And he's like, "I don't know how you went so heavy all summer." He's like, "Because I I was I wasn't even close. Like nobody else. Everybody else kind of. One guy went to like I don't even think the other guy went to plates. I think he went to thirty fives on each side. So it was kind of." shocking to everybody that was there but kind of impressive and I was like you know I'll just I'll just let coach Mahoney know about this it's fine
1: and uh, I'll give my own two cents on this I 100% agree with not rushing into a back squat especially with baseball players you have external rotation uh high load on your spine if you don't have good form you have problems which is one of the reasons that we also took it out of our powerpoint testing I'd also say that it's a, If a guy can't get the weight over his head or if he can't get it down properly, that, that's the other part of it. It's not just getting it up. It's when you're done with the set, getting it down without ripping your shoulders apart. I would be super hesitant to test that. Uh, but I, <laughs> I guess in his mindset, guys weren't going to do that much weight anyway, so it was a good precursor to what he wanted to do with the back squat.
0: Yeah, and then half the – I mean he also – then he didn't let – he didn't let half the team squat that year. I remember he was like, your form, your form's terrible. You can't, you really can't overhead squat. He goes, you're you're not allowed to squat. So you had to pass that, you had to pass that movement in order to be able to squat. But then by the time, I don't know what happened after that, because he built more programs and like kind of went, he switched things around. But that was my first year, his senior year. So I remember talking to him about that and saying that, but you're right. Because getting it down, getting it down without basically ripping your shoulders apart is just as important because especially if you're a baseball player, you're using, you're using, you're throwing every single day when you're in college. So you're absolutely right about that.
1: If, if you're listening to this, uh, so the first thing is what is an overhead squat? Well, instead of it's the same movement as a squat, normal squat, except with, instead of having your hands behind your head with a barbell on your back, you have your hands over your head, and if you're looking at the advanced training logo, that's pretty much what it is. It's a guy in an overhead squat. Now, the key to it when you get it up – this is the way I like to, to do it – is instead of doing a military press to do a close grip push-jerk, this way to save your shoulders, then move your hands out a little bit. And then when you're done, bring your hands back in and bring it down as if you were doing a push-jerk again in that narrow-grip position so that you don't get hurt. Uh, it's stupid to get hurt in the gym, and it's even stupider to get hurt while you're going to and from a movement that you're doing. So uh, a huge coaching point. It's a very big coaching point about how you get the weight up and down, and it's not just about the actual form on the squat. It's the entire setup. The, the, the set starts as soon as you pick up the barbell. It doesn't start as soon as you begin your squat. So we're, quick, quick transition. Uh, we're talking about videos. You're the first YouTube video ever. What, what are you doing now? What is your career now? Was linking to to movies. I mean, you made your first movie with me, and I think it was like 2009. What are you doing now?
0: Yeah, so now I am running a. I finally took the leap and uh, started my own business called uh, Lark Media. Um, We are basically still making movies. I'm still just short movies. It's a content creation company for. It's for businesses for sports for brands really for anything we create content we tell stories and we we try to get get people we try to drive people to your business program page whatever it is through the use of video so in a shorter version video marketing is really what what
1: i do now with my company and you've done three maybe i'll say four films for me and, and my groups. That you did like a, a sneak peek behind one of our workouts. Then you did a, a two-part documentary on what you call what the, the trading the greatest program you'd ever heard of. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then you did one uh for the high school that I coach at now, St. Peter's, and it insane, insanely high reviews on all, I'll say four of those films. So great work to you. My my question to you is how did you become so good at being invisible? So, just for those of you that don't know, he's there, let's say at the football one. He's got drones. He's got multiple cameras. We're all mic'd up, and we're in the middle of football camp. It was kind of like a hard knocks for high school, but we never felt like we were on film. You know, you got these wacky high school kids. They're not distracted. You are you were there, but you weren't there. How how did you do that? So,
0: for the last, well, for,
1: for the last five, six years,
0: I've i've been filming we've been interviewing and filming professional athletes for a while we used to do this series with sports illustrated where we would go interview a player and then they'd tell us all right you have this practice time but you can't bother them during practice you have to you need to get what you can get um you need to stay invisible you need to not like coach doesn't the coach doesn't care The coaches don't care. The players aren't going to care during practice. You need to you need to be incognito to get what to get what you need to get. So after a while, we me and uh, Manny, we kind of learned how to get what we needed to get without getting in the way, because I always looked at it from either a coaching standpoint or a player standpoint. You're at practice. You don't really want to know that the camera's there. You don't want to know because you're practicing, you're focused on something else. So it really was repetition at figuring out, Okay, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. This is these are the parts where we need to kind of back off a little bit. These are the parts where we could get up close and personal. And it was kind of a lot of trial and error and repetition in creating an environment where you don't feel like we're there. You don't even know, you don't even realize that we're there and filming you, but we're actually getting everything that we need to get. So a lot of repetition. Like I said, it was, it was a lot of repetition and trial and error.
1: When you're filming, do you feel like you're really there? Do you feel like a fly on the wall or do you have to go back? And then when you're editing it, you're actually absorbing what was happening while you were filming.
0: Oh no, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I know exactly what every everything is everything is planned, I should say. The shots that we want are are planned and where where I'm mentally there knowing what's going on so that I like to do that because when I go back and edit I'll know okay, this this part of practice was competitive period. I know exactly what I have. I know exactly what, what's there and it helps the edit move along faster. So like when you're shooting and you need to really be, you need to be present when you're shooting, because when you go back to the edit, it's, it just makes the edit so much easier and speeds things up a lot.
1: Now, did you think that your experience with me as a, as a player, as a guy, I trained. Did that help you become even more invisible during our sessions? Like, did you know where I, was, where I was going with things, so you just were able to move a certain way or go to a certain part of the field just because you knew me so well? Yes, that was that was a big part of
0: it. I also knew, I knew how quickly, I knew how quickly that your practice was going to be moving, so I knew exactly. I didn't need to overshoot anything. You know, I didn't need to, I didn't need to get the same drill. Six times I needed to get it twice, and then move on to to the next thing. So knowing you and the speed, and knowing kind of where you were going, definitely helped
1: a hundred percent. So for for those of you that don't know me, and I'm sure if you don't know me, you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. Uh, I am obsessed with efficiency and effectiveness. And it goes all the way into a football practice, a gym session. It, it doesn't matter what it is. So, what Steve's referring to is we have very, very high paced practices. There is very little, like I'll say, uh, detailed conversations going on in the field. We're constantly moving, and our practice time is usually somewhere between an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minutes. And our our thing with our guys is you're not going to stand here forever. We want you running around like your hair is on fire, and we'll do most of our teaching with film or uh, the board after practice. But we really want you moving and moving and moving during the course of a practice.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's pretty impressive to see. I mean, I've never seen a pra- I've honestly never, never seen a practice that moves like that. And I was jealous because we used to have at sea. This isn't a knock on on old coaches or anything. I'm just <laughs> saying we used to have some of the longest days ever. And you you lose when you're a teenager and you're in your high school. You know, you're not mentally there a hundred percent of the time. When practices are so long, you're you're kind of, you know, you're you're mentally wearing down and you're you're physically wearing down. And because there's lulls in time, you're actually thinking about it. So it was it was impressive to it was impressive to see the the efficiency of of your practices. It was unbelievable, actually.
1: I'd say uh, as a coach. In long practices, I'm not mentally there. I'll start like cramping up. My mind will wander. There's only so long I could focus. And I, I'm thinking now, with the way things are, with uh, I'd say instant gratification of your mind. You know, you're kind of flipping through Instagram pages. You're you're flipping through things on the internet. It's really hard to keep people's focus. So it, it is part of why we have such quick practices because it's hard to keep people's attention for that long.
0: Right, and you, and also you. I feel like you keep them you keep your your players mentally healthier by doing that as well cuz they're not like you know they're they they know they're only there for this amount of time and they could focus for that amount of time they don't have to worry about to worry about being there for a 4 hour practice you know I think I think mentally that's just that's a hurdle that they don't even have to think about they know all right I show up by the time I'm, by the time my mind starting to wander, Coach Mahoney is bringing us together to give us to give us a talk, and then we're out of here.
1: Right, and, and I think it plays into like Parkinson's law, where you're gonna take as much time to do something as the time that you're given, and the Pareto principle, where twenty percent of what you do affects eighty percent of your results. So for me, it was the short practice will force us to focus on the 20% because we don't have enough time. There's not enough time to do that other 80% of garbage that gives you no results. So even with the coaching staff, it's you only have this long. You're not getting any longer. Practice is only going to get shorter than this. So don't do a drill that's not going to relate to what we're doing on a football field. Don't do it. You don't have time for it. There's no reason to do it to make up a crazy drill because you're not going to have enough time to put in what you really want to put in. And
0: that, and that makes, it all makes, perfect sense um it all actually it all works really well when you when you see it i really wish i mean i know you probably don't want people to see your practices um live but i feel like that's like i feel like it's almost like a clinic in coaching um to see one of your practices with how quickly everything moves and how there's nothing unnecessary that goes into
1: it it's it's
0: really really one of the most impressive things i've seen
1: uh, that means a lot, man. That as a guy who played for me, uh, as a guy who's doing these documentaries, I've know you've seen a, a lot of other people's practice. You've seen a lot of things. You played college sports. Uh, you train with me, so that that definitely means a lot coming from you.
0: Of course, of course. I mean, you know, you know, I hold you in the highest regard, and uh, obviously, just seeing you in action, doing what you do as a as a coach and just a
1: person, it's it's amazing. Appreciated, man. Appreciate it. So I'm going to quickly change gears. Completely different story. It's uh, fourth and one. The defense is holding down the goal line against the perennial powerhouse, St. Anthony's. You, uh, they were on the goal line. It's the end of the game. There's like one second left. We are winning the game. I believe it was 35-29 at that point. And uh, St. Anthony's runs the ball up the middle, You bury your head through the hole. You strip the running back of the football, and the refs call a touchdown. So I'll repeat that again for those of you that are listening and don't believe what I'm saying. Steve goes through the hole on fourth and one against the perennial powerhouse. These guys, St. Anthony's, they've won championship after championship after championship. Here we are, a blue-collar team that finally made it into this team's division, let alone like going to games with them. We actually got into their triple A division in New York City Catholic High School football. You make the tackle behind the line of scrimmage. You pull the ball out of the running back's hands. The ref score, uh, rule it a touchdown. What's going through your mind then and what's going through your mind now? Is it still like haunting your dreams?
0: So I I've, I've think about it. I, I used to think about at the time when it first happened. I thought about it like every single day up until probably like my junior year of college (laughs) now now i think about it less it still does come up to me a little bit um and i remember at the time i didn't know what happened because if i haven't watched it on video uh i actually haven't watched it on video since film the the monday after um I, if you watch the film though i didn't know what, what happened like with the refs call because I remember pulling the ball out and I got pushed I got pushed into the end zone and i had I had like two or three guys on top of me and I had um one of their linemen like trying to like turn my turn my wrist because he knew I had the ball so underneath the pile one of the linemen was trying to turn my to get the ball for me and and i was i was and i just remember getting up and i'm like wait a minute what happened because i had no clue i had no cl- i didn't even have time to get up and hold the ball up because i had guys on top of me so i had really no idea what was going on at the time i just got up and i was in shock because i'm like i am handing you the football how is this a touchdown And, I mean, I – I at the time, it was – that was devastating. I mean, I feel like we – I feel like we knew we could play with them at that – I feel like the only thing we got out of that game was we knew that we could play with anybody in that league. Um, I think we knew that beforehand, but I think we really knew it after that because we felt – you know, we felt like we got robbed. But I think – I think if we – If that call is made, I think that season ends up a little bit differently, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, and and look, that was a statement game for us. I I think we went to their house the year before that. We were playing above our heads, and we had an insane 49-42 game with them. And and this is a team that was blowing everyone out. Again, they're blowing everyone out the next year, and we're winning for a huge portion of the game. They kicked a field goal that was missed, and they— the refs gave you know it was on this thing was actually on TV, not just film. They missed it. The refs gave them the the field goal, and then this happened. It, it definitely turned. It, it it definitely was a. I don't know. I I agree with your point to the to an extent that it showed we can play with anybody. And I also agree with your point that it also was it was emotionally draining. I I believe did we play Farrell the week after that, and win? No, we played we
0: played Farrell we played Farrell the week we played farrell 2 weeks ah, before okay that. so that Be- another because, big win for the program because 2 weeks before that i remember 2 weeks before that we beat farrell for the first time on the varsity level and then we had the the letdown game against iona the next week um at home we we kind of came out flat i think we lost to iona and then we played saint anthony's and we had to get back up for saint anthony's um, that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's the, the order it was in.
1: Now, do you think that the, the pain of that moment, has it, it helped improve any other facet of your life?
0: Um, yes. In ways where, where even if it really in just a, just like a, a business or a personal sense where if, I feel like it was more along the lines of in my life, I was able to now, not able to, but speak up more for things that if not that they didn't go my way, where I felt they were, where I felt like the other person was definitely wrong or handling something the right way or trying to take advantage of me in some type of way. I feel like that moment, help me speak up more because now it's like, right? you know, you know, this is wrong. You know, it's not, you know, this is, you know, this is wrong. You know what, you know, what's right. and You have to stand up for yourself. So I think in that kind of way, it helped. I mean, obviously that day standing up for myself doesn't matter to referees, but I think in life, it's something that's really important, especially in business when you start, business and
1: sometimes you know people try to take advantage of you at times it it's an interesting point because at the time you you definitely were not going berserk that you had the ball in your hand and i, I remember that you did look confused i think we all were confused and it was a, a jumbled pile so uh it, it, i guess if you're if if you could go back to your like right now uh if you had to go back to your 17 year old self would you say to do something differently? It doesn't even have to be in that moment. Would it be over the course of your high school career? Like what, what advice would you give yourself? I think the advice I would
0: give myself, I mean, in that moment, I think the only thing I would have done differently is probably would have got kicked out of the game. Cause I, I, I mean, if I would have honestly, what I would have done differently is probably walked up to the ref and gone berserk. But that at that time, that wasn't like in my, that wasn't in my personality at the time um i was never i was never one to you know get at officiating or refs because i didn't feel like they impacted i didn't feel like they impacted the game a whole lot i felt like you still had a control of other you still had control of 90% of the game until that moment really i mean obviously there were other parts of that game other plays in that game that could have gone differently where it doesn't come down to Having the ref make that decision, but I think I would have. I think I would have. If I had to change anything, I probably would have gone up to the ref and not stopped talking until I was kicked out of the game, because that that that's really what I, that's the only thing I could
1: actually. Think of that <laughs> that I done. Uh, and the game and the game was over at that point. Well, I I, I can't remember. It's been a long time ago. But I, I don't know if they kicked an extra point afterwards. But that was it. There was no time left on the clock. It was done. No. And- they we lost
0: 36-35. They actually did kick they the did. extra point. They did kick the extra point. And we were about probably another – probably less than an inch from blocking that and going to overtime
1: too. Uh, again, another side note. I'm, I'm a big, big, big stickler for blocking extra points. To me, it is the measure of a man because you, you've been scored on. Your back is against the wall, you're tired. it's probably the lowest point of a game for you, and I think it just takes a team's will for blocking an extra point. It's something that we, we put in instantly. It's like part of our defensive package is an extra, extra point block, and we've just gotten better and better and better at it. So yeah, it, it eats at me that we missed that thing by a uh, millimeters. now that now that you're, now that you're saying yeah. it, it is, it is back in my mind.
0: It was it was it was, yes, it was honestly I don't I think it was a fingertip probably away so i uh, that's a game that's a game that that last the last play to the extra point the whole
1: thing is something that i'll never i'll never forget <laughs> well let's uh let's change gears again i want to get into training and get off this very sad moment of losing 36 35 <laughs> to st <Saint> anthony's so <laughs> in your entire life what was the worst training advice that you've ever gotten
0: the worst training advice that I've ever gotten oh man there's been a lot of bad training advice but um, I think the worst that I've ever gotten was well I don't even know if this is advice I think this is more of I don't even know if this is advice I think this is just more of someone talking and not or just someone speaking and not really being aware of anything else that has to do with training and fitness I had a coach tell me that how fast I am is means how in shape I am so he he wanted us to run you remember this he wanted us to run the uh 16 110s all of them in like under a minute or something like that all, all, all of them And I, I remember I got to number seven and I kept, my time kept going up and he was like, this just means shape. And I was like, what, what do you mean? This means I'm out of shape. You gave us two weeks to do this test. And he's like, no, speed, speed is your barometer of how in shape you are. I was like, dude, I just did 29 pull-ups. I don't know what, I think that's a better barometer in shape than, than this test. And, uh, I think that was one of the worst. I don't even know if that's advice. That's just one of the worst pieces of information I think I've ever received.
1: Well, I think what happens is that there is a, a mistake of thinking that being conditioned for long, I'll say long cycles of endurance versus high repetition of speed, they're, too, they're not the same thing. So for people that don't know, there are some colleges, most colleges have conditioning tests when guys get back from their summer break to make sure they haven't been doing a a whole bunch of nothing over the summer. And some of those tests are just awful. Actually, most of those tests are awful because they're conditioning you to do something that is not going to carry over to your sport. So if you're thinking about the 110s that Steve was just talking about, you essentially start, I'd say, let's say you start at the end of the end zone of a football field and you run to the beginning of the end zone of another field. That, that's a uh, 110 yards and you get clocked. And in some schools, they give you a full minute. So you sprint down there at this clock starts the second you sprint. And then you get to the other side and you get to walk back. And then that clock starts again at one minute. So you have to basically get there, come back within a minute and then start again. And doing 16 of those in a row is extremely, extremely challenging. But that thing is not carrying over to the speed of a football play, which lasts about four seconds and is usually about, a, I don't know, maybe 10 yards, maybe 20 yards on a big play. So, yeah, th- there isn't a lot of correlation. You could be very fast and not well-conditioned for endurance, or you can have great endurance but not be conditioned for speed and explosion. And I, I think a lot of those sports are confusing the two. it, too. It really kills me when I see – fast twitch sports or a speed sport or a power sport like football or even baseball, you know, it's not like you're running 10 miles. You're literally just sprinting to home plate to first base or sprinting for a ground ball or sprinting for a fly ball. It, it, there's no correlation to running miles and miles or doing these insane high endurance workouts that just, it, and they're also making it smaller, weaker. It's just, I hate all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. And, and it was the thing that got me was we we, I remember, I remember coming to you and I was like, they just sent us this email. Our test is in two weeks, the 16 110s. And you went, Steve, I have, you go. Know, I have football players that have been training for four months for this that might not pass this test. I was like, why would he? I, I was like, I have no idea why he would give this to us now, especially we're baseball players. This has nothing, we don't, we go 90 feet at a time. You know, I was like, this is incredible. And then to get told, oh yeah, you're, you're just not in shape. I was like, dude, I just did 29 (laughs) pull-ups. I don't know. I don't know what, what you're
1: watching, but this is just completely out of hand. It's, it's a different type of shape. I I think if we're taking something from this conversation, it's a, it's a very different type of shape. Now. Oh yeah, I think it is. And I think the,
0: the. I think you need time to be able to pass that conditioning test. I don't think it's impossible, but I think you need more than two weeks.
1: Yeah. There's a skill to the test. There's a way to control your breathing, to control your strides, to control on that one how you turn around. Do you, do you jog back to the line? Do you walk back to the line? Do you pace yourself? You know, do, you, do you sprint back to the line and take the rest while you're standing up? These are all things that need to be coached, and at a two-week period, it's not easy. Now, granted, look, if you're in great – I'll say, if you don't have a lot of body fat, if you have great running mechanics, if you're fast, it'll certainly help you because you're not wasting energy running up and down that that one ten. But uh, in a two week span, there is not a direct carryover from, say, a a a ninety. I'll say like a ninety foot sprint into a hundred ten yard sprint.
0: Yes, I I think I would I think I would agree with that one as well.
1: So uh, if I, I want to ask about. What's the craziest thing you've actually seen inside of advanced training?
0: Inside of advanced training. Oh, man, I've seen a few. Um, I think I, I there's a couple. I mean, anything that, that Frank Torres did. I think Frank Torres did a few things while I was filming. <laughs> he did a couple things while we were filming because he knew the camera was there. Um, but I think from that day, it wasn't him that I was, that I was like, all right, this, I always knew he was a little bit of a psycho, but it was a workout that I'd never seen before where I I turned the camera and I see, I see guys on the, uh, the back, the lower back extension, uh, machine, but. They're doing rows. Like <laughs> that is a crazy workout. So I, I like turn and I'm like, what is this? And it all, it all makes sense. But when you're watching it, you're for the first time you're watching it. You're just in awe, especially because most of these kids are, they're rowing. They're rowing probably like 75s or 80s. They're hanging over a back extension and they're repping it out. So sitting there watching this for the first time, and I remember I'm looking at, at uh, my friend Manny, who was the, the other camera person. I go, have you ever seen this before? He goes, no, this is, this is insane. I was like, I can't believe this is a thing. That was, that was definitely one of them. And I think another one was when I watched Mike Morano do five – Mike Morano did five chin-ups with two plates attached to himself.
1: Yes, he actually ended up doing a six with a hundred-pound dumbbell around his waist. Wow! And uh, yeah, he mid was, rep, he of was one of them. He screamed and yelled at Gerald Amorosi because Gerald Amorosi said he couldn't do it. So he's like mid. It might have been like the third rep. I cannot repeat on uh, on air <laughs> what he said, but he was screaming at him across a very crowded gym, calling him out. I, I think I have. I think I have a pretty good idea of what he said. I, I I don't, I don't
0: need to I, – I, I have it in my head. I think I know – I have a good idea
1: of what he said. To throw, throw so who, who – you told me about Frank Torres. Who do you think was the craziest person in advanced training history and, and why? So I think Torres is probably number one
0: because, first of all, he, he loved competition and he loved showing up and getting in other people's head a rat that were training with him, so it was a li- on his end it was he loved to talk, but he also he loved to it it made you better in a in a crazy in his own sick and crazy way. it still made you better from him coming in and talking to you the way that he did, and he also. What I would notice with him is you were always – you have a famous line where you you always would say, don't throw paint on the Mona Lisa. But he would come in and he might start at a certain weight doing an exercise, and by the time he's done, his – he's just – he would just add – he just wanted to add so much more to it that was not what you really wanted him to do, and he always would fight – to add more weight no matter what it was and he'd and if you let him he'd always (laughs) he i just feel like he was always the guy who was like i'm not gonna let anybody really tell me what i can't do and he was he was he was a lunatic but he made other people better i I think it's it's a
1: great point and he did not like rules he did not like order and here I am with just talk about the Mona Lisa. I I did a painstaking work on creating his workout sheet, thought through for weeks of what weight he should hit over the next month, and it's I think it bothered him that I was telling him what to do, and who am I to put restrictions on him?
0: Yeah, it, in in his own in his own sick and twisted way, it definitely did bother him. But he the thing was he he loved the other thing was he loved you and he loved the guys that were that were there, like he would do anything for those guys, but while you were there with him, you had to deal with him if you had to deal with him <laughs> being in your ear chirping you the whole time, you had to deal with him saying like no that's too late i'm going I'm going heavier than this you had to deal with that he was i don't think anyone will ever top him in terms of the the character that he was in ter- the character that he is in terms of, he's yeah, he's got a few screws loose, but he'll also make you better when you're with yeah,
1: him. Yeah, he would always say he'd be spotting someone else screaming at them, getting in their head. They'd beat their max, and then he would tell me, uh, "Coach, I-, I get credit for that. Give me credit for those mental reps right there that I that I got." <laughs> don't don't give it for him. Give it to right, me. right. Like he he did it. It was it was almost it was
0: like pre. It was planned beforehand that he was going to be doing this. I don't want to give him enough credit and tell him that he planned that he planned that to be chirping and getting these guys to to reach their max because I don't think he thought that far into it. I think he just, you know, he was just talking from the moment he walked in to the moment he walked out. But I guess he does deserve a little (laughs) bit of credit for that.
1: So, along that same line, uh, you remember the challenge. Again, for people listening that don't know what goes on in advanced training, we have something where at the end of a workout, we'll have one person in the group challenge another person to, in a group in the group to something competitive that's physical. Sometimes it's physical and mental. And the winner gets this nice championship belt, and the loser gets basically nothing. And then you just keep doing it over the course of the year, and whoever has the most wins is the, the challenge champ for that year. If, if we made this a tag team event – and you uh, could pick any person in the history of Vance Training to be your tag team partner, who would it be and why?
0: I have two, I have two people for this. I, I hate to keep bringing his name up, but I would definitely pick Torres. <laughs> like he, he, he's the number one pick. If you're, going, if you're going tag team, he's the number one pick because he will get inside the other team's head First, first and foremost, he he'll he'll chirp at them all day, get inside their head. And secondly, he refuses to lose. I remember I watched uh, the challenge. It was I, it was when we were there filming, actually. He it was the band. I think I think it's the is it FTS band holds um, where you you bring it, you put the band on uh the squat rack, and then you, you yes. lunge and you pull it to the middle right. of your body. I I remember the first, someone challenged him when the we Billy were there, Blanco. and yes, and Blanco is not a slouch either um, in anything for that matter. And Blanco put up a pretty solid time, and Torres just blew him out of the water because he refuses to lose. He knows he. He just knows. He goes, I, he just tells himself, I'm going to win. And that's it. That, that's, he's the number one pick. I, I, I don't, don't know if you remember,
1: far. but on the documentary, you know, Blanco <laughs> challenged him. And it, so it's, it's actually a lunge hold where you hold a, uh, I'll call it a power band. Our bands are from Elite FTS. So you're in a lunge hold. And you're holding the band out in front with your arms out as far as possible in front of you. So the band is kind of yanking you while you're in this lunge hold. So it's a double horrible thing. You're in a lunge hold and you have a band yanking you. Blanco challenges him to that. You have Torres on film. You're asking him about the challenge. He says, yeah, Blanco just challenged me to – I don't know what he just challenged me to, but I'm going to beat him in it. Like he didn't even care what the challenge was. He was just going to beat him in that challenge.
0: Exactly. He didn't – he doesn't care. He just – he He won't lose. It It won't happen. Uh, who so was who your number 2 he's my number who's one. your number 2 number 2 is teddy clohessy because he he's another one who was a he was a lunatic as well but i don't know where it came from i feel like teddy always had this like freakish strength like he never looked he never looked enormous he always looked you know he always looked like he was in really good shape. He always looked like he was, he was, he had decent size, but he never looked like the strength that you saw him when he put up numbers and the things that you could see him do in the gym. He was, a—I think he was just a freak of nature with some of the numbers that he would put up So that. And he also
1: had a couple. <laughs> so if yeah, He, a, he had that. He shared with Torres that I don't want to lose where he would push yes. his body past the brink of what it should have went to. I just can't lose. On the flip side, though, he was not a trash talker at all. Like He just – no. Torres was the ultimate trash talker. He'd get in your head, and Cohesi was just a legitimate workhorse, workhorse. That's it. Oh, oh yeah.
0: And I think with with Teddy, I think he would demoralize the other team a little bit more if we were in a tag team challenge situation because he doesn't talk and he stays quiet. But then when you watch him actually do something, do a workout, I think it's just demoralizing to watch somebody who doesn't say a word the entire time and then just blows your doors off
1: with the weight or the amount of reps that he's about to do. Yeah, I- I'm looking at the data now. So Torres won the Tough Man in 2019, and then Teddy was the winner three, year- three times in a row after that. So two, two really good picks on your part. A, yeah. I, I, I know, I know the scope of
0: advanced training. I, I know who, I know my, I have a draft. I, I have a draft. <laughs> I
1: know. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up with a non football related question. Uh, this is more for me to just rob a good idea from you. Cause again, I'm a person who loves efficiency. What's one thing that you've done? And it could be football. It could be training. It could be anything. I don't care what the forum form is, but have you done something to remove clutter from your life or simplify your life in the last say 2 to 3 years
0: have i done something to remove clutter from my life or simplify my life in the last 2 to 3 years um well what i've done is i don't know if it's removing clutter as much as it is taking a step back and being able to actually you know focus on something for um an extended period of time because i i remember a couple couple of years ago i'd been going through where i i couldn't focus at times there were times where i couldn't i couldn't you know get done what i needed to get done i'd be i'd start something and then i'd be like oh no wait i want to do i have to do this instead i want to do this and i remember listening to a podcast and someone said read reading will slow you down, and reading helps you focus, so I actually started reading again, and it kind of not kind of it actually calms me down, centers me, and helps me focus throughout the rest of the day
1: Now are you reading a specific type of uh, genre, or is it just
0: reading anything it's not anything i i read I started reading a mix of things. There's, there are business books that I read because I, you know, I always want to learn more about how to grow a business because that's what I'm currently doing now, but also, um, autobiographies of successful people. So one of my favorite ones is, uh, that I'm not, I'm not yet. I've, I've been reading it for a little bit. Um, total recall by Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, his whole, his whole life story. It's, Wild, his whole story is wild. I know it's a it's a biography, so things might be a little exaggerated. But I think reading stories of successful people and how they did it, it not only helps me, you know, focus and concentrate, but it kind of gives me something to to look at and be like, you know what, if they could do it, I, I could do it too. What
1: what I like about Schwarzenegger, at least from listening to the podcast that I've heard, is that he used his body as the platform to become successful in one thing and then become successful in the next thing. And I, I thought I heard him say – or somebody say, maybe it was on Tim Ferriss's podcast, that he was actually a millionaire before he was a movie star, that he was like a yes.
0: – <laughs> so that's true. It's 100% true. He, you know, he, he told I, – I mean I think everybody knows this part of the story, but he told his dad when he was 13. He said, I'm moving – to the United States and I'm going to become a movie star. But he made – he was a millionaire even before he became a movie star. And he also would – basically what happened was he would meet all these people. He would meet these high-level high, high level people of – I mean he dated Kennedy for – he dated Kennedy. And he would meet all these high-level people at these events, and they'd want to work with him in some facet, whether it be investing in real estate or – something like that so he made
1: money before he like you said he made money even before he
0: became you know the movie star
1: i think he was a, a mason with colombo right the other the other bodybuilder another two jacked yeah, up guys he laying was, bricks at your house
0: the, exactly exactly it was the, the story is the story is is crazy to to see you know like if if you read that if you read that book and you think like I can't do something or I'm I'm limited in some way. Just read that book. You could do whatever you want. Um if you obviously you have to work at it because he put he worked harder than than anyone. But if you read that book and it doesn't inspire you to do something you 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 don't have a pulse.
1: So I am gonna wrap this up with one more question. Tag team partner yes. your choice Frank Torres or Arnold Schwarzenegger
0: oh man ah uh. I'm, well, you know what, Torres has the youth on him, so I'm gonna go with Torres. I'm gonna go with Torres. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Torres. He's got he's got the youth on him. I know Arnold is definitely Arnold's definitely smart. He's got you know he's he could probably figure out ways to do things. He still lifts heavy at his age, but I think I think I'm gonna go with Torres on this one,
1: Frank Torres. If you are listening, I'm sure that is uh, making you very proud right now. You are living up to your. <laughs> <laughs> to your crazy mantra of of, of who you are, so uh, good stuff. All right, Mr. Armado, we're at about an hour. This has been awesome. Thank you for making this first ever interview on this podcast easy. I love you, man. Thank you very much.
0: Love you too, Coach. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about it, and uh, good luck with everything else. Uh, the coming into the new season, it's spring ball. Yes, sir. Man, right?
1: It is about that time.
0: All right. Awesome. So thank you All very right, much, Steve. Thank you. Have a have a great one. Bye.